0: On today's show, I'm going to have the pleasure of having one of the members of Amherst Leeds, which is the sports program designed with leadership at Amherst College, who runs a social media program for Amherst Leeds, one of the, like, the guys who does it for his fellowship. Nick Sullivan played on the golf team last year. We're going to come back and talk a little bit about NBA and NFL stuff that happened. And he's worked for different sports broadcasting stuff. So that is today's guest in the podcast. And this is the Shred Takes Podcast Show. Welcome back to the show. So my guest today is Nick Sullivan. He played golf at Amherst last year. He just graduated. Now he's currently working for his fellowship with Amherst Weeds and the Amherst Athletic kind of his program. Um, he's working with specifically with like social media stuff. He has a podcast where he's doing stuff for Amherst Athletics. He interviewed one of my teammates, Garrett Day, on his podcast So and, and other athletes as well. And, you know, a guy that I love talking sports with, a guy who's also worked in sports broadcasting and stuff like that over the years. So definitely knows what he's talking about. But Nick, thank you so much for coming on the show. And I'm happy to have you on.
1: Uh, Thanks for having me, Shred. I appreciate that boat of confidence. uh, I know what I'm talking about. We'll see. I'm kind of uh, I also did a radio show with Lonnie at Amherst. So um, I got to get myself back into giving you these clear takes, but I'm excited to be on.
0: So let's jump right into it. So look, the first week at the first week of the playoffs, right? At, there yeah. are a lot of great games, right? You can look at Colts spills and the Buccaneers, and you can look at the Ravens beating the Titans and stuff like that. You know, obviously the Bears in Saints game, we kind of knew it was going to go that way, right? In Pittsburgh, I was a little shocked by that, but yeah. the Browns coming big one for them. I want to ask you from all those, that stuff. Give me some takes and takes so takeaways that you kind of took from those games and saying, okay, what did you learn? What do the future are for some of those teams that lost all that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, six great football games. They were all entertaining. Um, I sat here all weekend and, and was not, did not even feel the need to turn one off. They were all kind of tight till the end, even the saints game, like the bears were still in it. And then Jimmy Graham goes up with one hand in the end zone snags the last touchdown, and jogs off the field like a boss. Um, that was pretty cool. Takeaways, uh, first I'll go, I, you can't say enough about what Taylor Heineke did. Even though they lost that game, the performance he had was crazy. 350, two TDs, stretched one to the pile on to keep them in the game. So um, obviously in that slot, Brady and the Pats went down last year, Saturday night against the Titans. So to see Brady get a win in the same sort of TV time slot was difficult um, to say the least, but they're moving on. They got a tough matchup. We'll see. We'll see what they do next week. Uh, I think the Ravens Titans game was super interesting because Titans lost Corey Davis to injury in the middle of the game. And it really kind of showed you that all the play action they did with Derrick Henry was not super effective because AJ Brown was getting so many touchdown, but like Browns, Browns are going to give the Chiefs run for their money. I think so. We'll see. I'm excited. Going to be some good games coming up.
0: I was just going to jump into that. So interesting enough. So I, I give the Washington football team a lot of credit with yeah. Heineke because you know that that was not easy. But the one thing I'll ask you, especially someone who used to have Brady there, so what what are your takeaways, sort of? So the way I look at the, the Breeze-Brady matchup is I think there's, it's more to gain for Breeze than Brady. Brady, I think, has been cemented. Breeze needs this more. I think the Saints overall have the better team slightly. Um, they, they proved that this year, obviously, through the two games. I think their defense is better. And I think Brady under pressure at his age is kind of – he struggled with that. But yeah. I was wondering your opinion kind of about that game specifically. And where you see that going? Do you think the Bucs can win that game, or do you really say, eh, nah, they're going to go on three this year"? It's kind of what it is.
1: Yeah, I mean, having watched Brady for almost twenty years, he can win any game. Like he, he, he's the greatest to ever do it. I, I hate to, I, I cannot support him in a Tampa Bay uniform. I've been trying to like figure out some way to compare the feeling that I have watching him. It's almost like like bringing a girl to the prom and then having a great time. Then the next year you show up and she's having a great time with someone else um, or something like that. It's just like the worst. Um So I can't like support them, but they definitely have a chance. I think one breeze is done after this year. So he's going to, I mean, he's going to give it everything he's got, if you will. Um, he's, going to retire after this year I think and we'll probably go the broadcasting route maybe we'll see um, I picked the Saints at the beginning of the year to go to the Super Bowl against the Chiefs so I'm partial to believing that they're going to win the game I think their defense as you said is super underrated uh, Cam Jordan is other than Aaron Donald the best defensive tackle um, probably in the game and the Bucs don't have a good run defense to begin with or run offense to begin with um, kind of f- Floating with Fournette. Keyshawn Vaughn fumbled last week after having not played all year. Uh, Ron Jones is, like, on and off the COVID list. Now he's got, like, shin splints or something, so you don't really know what's going on there. I mean, the key to the game is going to be what Chase Young was trying to do, which is get after Brady. And the Bucks were able to do a combination of, like, dropping an extra tight end in to give Brady some help with six blockers, get the ball out of Brady's hands quick, something like that. Um, and Chase Young was not as effective as I think people thought he was going to be. So I think that's the key. If you can pressure Brady, you can make him force him into bad throws, maybe some picks. I mean, that the I remember the Sunday Night Football game they played. He threw Brady threw three picks, and I think had less than 200 yards, and the Saints blew out the Bucks. So it could go a bunch of different ways. I think it'll be a close game. I'll give you like. 27, 23 Saints.
0: So the one thing I wanted to break down too is you brought this up earlier, which I think is interesting. I've been talking to a bunch of people after the Browns beat the Steelers. And I'm kind of with you. I don't think it's a cakewalk for the Chiefs by any means because look, I'm not saying the Chiefs aren't the best team in the NFL on paper and the way they played this year. Generally, I would say they, they have played around that level, Right. Even with their like you know suspect games recently playing very close to the regular season, I think it was a lack of urgency. And I'm not making it here to just give them excuses, but you know it looked like that they would like you know not fully be engaged. Yeah. I think if it's the Browns, you gotta be fully engaged because the Browns will you know clock up a lot of possession because they run the football well. And then you know I'll give Baker Mayfield credit, right? And I know he's been ripped apart by a lot of guys in the media. And, you know, rightfully so, because they don't really know like how good he is because of Stefanski. Right. But winning that game at Pittsburgh proved a lot about, I think, how good he is. I think you can definitely say he's a good quarterback now. Um, Elite, maybe not. I don't think he's elite yet, but I think he's definitely a a good tier quarterback for sure. Someone you could definitely keep um, in your organization. I think the Browns got a chance. Um, I think they can definitely keep it close. They can keep the game interesting with the running game. Um, The reason why I slightly take the Chiefs is because of. Mahomes and the weapons and at the fact that they're home, right? Um, your thoughts on that and kind of just the Browns chiefs game in general.
1: Yeah. I mean, what you just said at the end there is something that I think is in a year where the stands have been mostly empty. I don't know. It seems like people, like people were in the stands in Buffalo, um, which was, didn't happen all year. I don't know how many people are going to be at Arrowhead, but having a home field playoff game where you didn't play the last week, is a massive massive advantage we've seen it over the course of the last 20 years in the nfl the fact that the chiefs went all the way last year i think like when you point to games in the past where they might not have fared as well in the playoffs or might have um underperformed expectations i think last year kind of put that debate to rest like they're a really freaking good football team and they have the ability to score points like that like you know tyreek hill even Sammy Watkins, Kelsey, like these are all huge playmakers. Now you add Clyde Edwards-Helaire, and you can do it so many different ways. I think the key for the Browns is what you said before, like time of possession. They gotta possess the ball, keep it out of Mahomes' hands. It's what teams always used to try to do against Brady. But you gotta use the two-headed monster of Chubb and Kareem Hunt, and if you can establish them early, like the Chiefs' defense is not phenomenal, it's good enough to complement the offense. Um, but if you can establish the run. And like you said, I mean, Baker is, like, he's good going to his right. If you move him out of the pocket on some of these bootlegs, like, he can find the tight end or Jarvis Landry or something like that. Jarvis Landry played great on Sunday night, uh, had at least one touchdown uh, and made some big catches. So, I mean, I was a guy who was a Baker Mayfield naysayer when he came out of college. Like, I did not think he had the arm strength to play in the NFL. I did not think he would – keep the ball safe I thought he would he loved to like run around like Johnny Manziel mode in college so that's naturally I was like oh this is the second coming of Johnny Manziel but I mean I was obviously very wrong about that um and I'm kind of people giving a lot of crap in the media but he he's kind of he's starting to back it up with his play and if he makes it a championship game like you really kind of kind of silence the haters
0: Shifting over to the NBA. So I want to start. So look, you think about, you know, great teams that get assembled, right? The Warriors, you know, the Lakers team last year, the big three in Miami, you know, like and and now currently the Brooklyn Nets, right? Everyone was so excited for the Katie Kyrie kind of matchup and, you know, just getting together, right? And and look, I I think both players have played very well this season. Um, I'm not going to take anything away from that. But Brooklyn is five and six and so far has been a major disappointment. Now, it's only 11 games, and the Miami Heat, the first year they got together, didn't do too well either to start off the year. Um, Then, you know, got 22 out of 23 wins after that. But Brooklyn's got some major issues that I've seen, and I think it's their defense and their turnovers and just their lack of urgency are just a problem. And I was wondering from your end, because obviously, look, I know you're not necessarily a fan of the Brooklyn Nets, but where do you look at the Brooklyn Nets and say – this is going to hold them back from maybe being the team they could be.
1: Yeah, I think that's, I think that's a good way to put it because everybody has such high expectations um, of what they'll be at the end of the year, which the end of the year is kind of an abstract thing right now with, with all these COVID postponements and such. We gotta just hope that we can get there. Um, no, I'm not a fan of the Brooklyn Nets, never have been, and, and the fact that Kyrie is there now. I still harbor some resentment for his years in Boston. Um, So I'm happy. (laughs) Well, happy is kind of a a mean word, but I am content to see them struggle at the beginning of the year. Um, They'll be fine. They're going to be somewhere between the first and fourth seed in the East and get to the playoffs. And at this point, you're just kind of trying to feel out the rotation, I think, and the fact that Steve Nash is the coach, even though he's got uh, like D'Antoni is an assistant coach. He's got a bunch of other guys who are experienced. He's still kind of molding himself into that role. The rotation is still coming together. I mean, you got Karis Lavert scoring like 40 plus off the bench. Like, clearly they're deep and they've got a lot of talent, but you kind of got to. The first 20 games is what it is every year. It's like people are figuring it out. And then once they hit their stride, they are like the great teams, the elite teams are, are pretty much unstoppable. And I think that'll probably be the case with the Nets. Um, I mean, KD is KD. Like, even if you watch him, like he's still got that, he's still got that bounce that that explosive ability to score 3540 any given night, like one of the best knockdown shooters to ever play the game. So they will be fine. They just got to kind of like learn a little bit about themselves in the beginning of the year. And once you get, kind of I mean the all-star break is the latest you could possibly do it was still trying to get a top four seed like really come up with an identity get everybody healthy and and make your push and I think I mean this year with COVID and everything the momentum could come at weird times so you just kind of got to be able to adapt but I think they'll be fine
0: shifting topics for a little bit here so related to that my only issue with Kevin Durant is not that he can't score 35. It's just that sometimes I, – I, I and look, this is early. I think he's feeling it out. So I, I, I think there's – I'm taking the OKC game as an example, right? He just – there's something a little bit in terms of hesit- – I think he's feeling things out. So there's a little bit of hesitation when to take over. I think with him and Kyrie, you see Kyrie shoots way more in the fourth quarter than he does. And I think that has to be an even – Um, Because I think Kevin Durant's too good to just stand the corner and, you know, just wait for a pass. Um, This is something that happened with OKC and Russell Westbrook and him. And I think that, you know, Kevin Durant, I'm not saying he's not like an alpha alpha male personality. And, you know, I'm not saying any of those things. I'm just saying that based on what I've watched, I'm a little concerned about him and him and Kyrie, because I think Kyrie thinks he's, you know, the best clutch player in the NBA, which he's a clutch player, don't be wrong. But that's where I kind of go with that. I don't know if you see that like problem again. I understand it's only eleven games, and I'm probably overreacting a little bit. But this is just a trend that I think needs to be addressed by Brooklyn because it is a little bit problematic, especially in some of their losses.
1: I totally, I totally agree with you. Like Kyrie, he definitely thinks he's the most clutch player in the NBA. For two years in Boston, like the shot you would get at the end of games is like a step back thirty footer, Um, and like every so often he would hit it, and it'd be like great, like, number one play on SportsCenter, all that, but he doesn't hit it very often. Uh, he's clutch. He's, I think, honestly, they're going to be at their best if Kyrie can figure out a way to go, like, one step further from his role in 2016 with LeBron and the Cavs. Like, if he can go back to that, because at that point, like, LeBron was the clear one, right? But Kyrie would often take shots at the end of the game. Game seven of the NBA finals, perfect example. Like he would often be in charge of the offense. If he can find a way to do that with KD, where it's more of like uh, we're helping each other rather than we're clear one, two. And obviously like they're gonna be helping each other as best they can. But when you get to the end of the game, like that's when the best teammates usually come out and the best, the guys who can best create plays and create open shots for their teammates. And I think he did that pretty well in Cleveland in 2016. Obviously this is four years later where we've gone through the whole conversation of he wants to be the guy and he wants to be in control of his own franchise. Um, And now it's a super team and it's like, all right, you kind of got to evolve Kyrie. So um, I, but like takeaway, they will be best if Kyrie can find a way to be like he was in 2016 in this new situation um, and I don't know if you can do that, but it'll be fun to watch.
0: So now a team that you have been favorable to is the Boston Celtics, right? I know they've had to a couple postponements, but I, look, I, I, I like using analogies and something I, I like is just a sense of like, you know, the, the, the best friends kind of, I think make, you know, if they get along, make good teammates, right? You look at, I think, look, LeBron and Anthony Davis are really close friends. They make great teammates. Dwayne Wade and LeBron. You can even look at, you know, just guys that like like, like Dirk and Jason Terry make great teammates, KG and Rondo and all those kind of, or Paul Pierce, right? Like, like, you know, those are examples. I think like Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are guys, if you look at it from a Boston perspective. Now, look, I know you guys have some holes in terms of your um, big position. You have a major hole. And I think maybe having that third playmaker since Kevin Walker's out, which he's supposed to come back this week, which is great for you guys. But I really love the emergence of a guy like Jalen Brown, and I like the fact that Tatum and him are not jealous of each other and are working well together. If you see that, explain why you think um, you know they were able to take this jump. What specifically have you seen that's allowed them to be, both of them, be so successful offensively this year?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, it's been great to watch Jalen Brown. I think this is his fourth year in the league now. Uh, he has just improved exponentially every year. And this year, he's one of the best one-on-one scorers I've I've seen this year. I've obviously watched like 80% of the games I've watched are Celtics games. So that's maybe not like a, a super impartial take, but he can do it so many different ways. He's shooting a three at like 41 or 42%, which is career high. Um, he can... His mid-range game is excellent. He can break down defenders and kind of create a step. And he loves the foul line jumper. Um, I think that's part of it. Like, he, he can just do it so many different ways. He's so creative with the ball. Um, you don't really know what he's going to give you. Tatum is just like, you almost feel like it's kind of like a once-in-a-generation type player sometimes. Like, the shots he makes, um, his ability to go one-on-one, they both are just so good at taking – like, if the Celtics are able to isolate a guy on Tatum or Brown, it's kind of a done deal, it feels like right now. I mean, and and I said this to someone the other day, I feel like the Celtics, like, every player is playing their best right now. I think it was Salou I said that too. Um, and that's not going to last. It would be great if it lasted all year. I think we'd win, I think we'd be raising a banner in TD Garden if it, if that happened all year, but at some point, you're going to go on a skid at some point, like someone's going to get hurt. Like right now we're dealing with COVID issues. Um, you just got to find, like you said, we do have cracks. I think the big is definitely one of them. I don't love Tristan Thompson. I think he does a great job on the offensive glass, um, which is something that we haven't had too much of recently. But Daniel Tice being the five and kind of he's all right. He's like a middle of the road, NBA center. Um, I think another issue is how does Kemba come back into this current harmony that we have with Jalen and Jason? Um, I really like just having the two of them kind of being the guys. And then you got like Marcus smart, who's one of the best role players in the league, I think, or one of the best at like the role that he's carved out. Um, Peyton Pritchard I mean I'm all all aboard the Peyton Pritchard train like that guy is so underrated and such a surprise had a game winner a couple nights ago followed up Jalen Tippin. beautiful uh he's been great I think he's a guy that you can play like 20-25 minutes a game in the playoffs I really do um other guys you hope develop a little bit like the time lord um Robert Williams he is so athletic, but has like a crippling inability to not foul people, um, and turns the ball over a lot. Uh, so those are concerns, but you hope that maybe he evolves a little bit by the end of the year. I don't think we're going to the NBA finals. I think if we do go to the NBA finals, the only way is Kemba accepting that he's the third guy. Um, and I don't think he'll do that. Um, he signed a huge contract to be the number one guy. He sat on the bench and watched Jason and Jalen develop, and you hope that he realizes that he's probably the three now. And if he does, he's a great teammate. We could go deep in the playoffs. But my biggest concern right now, honestly, is Kemba coming back and maybe throwing a wrench in what's going on right now. But the other thing is we got we to gotta stop getting COVID and be able to play the games. Otherwise, we're going to have to forfeit, so.
0: Yeah, that's good. That's a problem for even a lot of college teams too, at the moment. Oh, yeah. And, you know, it, 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 I mean, COVID just COVID, right. But I think that's something I wanted to break down a little bit. So I know Milwaukee and Boston have a little bit of a rivalry. I'd say, I wouldn't say it's huge, but you can say it's a little bit, right. My problem is when I look at Boston, I say, okay, Boston has a, at least potential to be a lot better than what they are. I think the bucks window is shrinking and I might be the pessimist here, and I really don't want to be for Giannis because I want to see Giannis be successful. He's seems like a great teammate. He's done a you know a lot of really positive things for the Bucs and Milwaukee, and he, you know again, family oriented guy. He works hard. He's improved, but the thing is he's stagnated a little bit in his improvement. He improved immensely from 2015 to last year, but he stagnated this year, and. What happens? What I was expecting at least—I wasn't expecting him to be able to shoot the ball better this year. I really wasn't expecting that that much. I was expecting him more of a post game because he could be so dominant with just one or two decent post moves because he's so big and athletic and strong, right? And you look at it against the Celtics. I mean, like they, they they put Marcus Smart on him. I mean, you know, he's six four. You just take him down the post, I think, but. You know, I blame Budenholzer a little bit for what's going on. I think he's a, he's a very good coach, but I don't think he's an elite coach because I think an elite coach would be able to get more out of what Giannis is doing and tell Giannis to stop dribbling to four guys and jack up some travel euro step. Um, he does travel, right? I you know I watch the games. He does travel. Um, the NBA lets it go because you know it just is what it is. The refs just don't see it. It happens. Um, but that's kind of where I go with that. I want to ask you though. Um, what do you think? Like, like, where do you think the Bucks like stealing lives? Do you think like are you like me? Do you see them kind of degre- like regressing? Um, I don't know if that's what you kind of see there.
1: Yeah, um, I there definitely is a rivalry between Boston and Milwaukee. They pumped us two years ago in the playoffs, uh, and then we didn't have to see them last year, which which was nice. Um, I think Giannis is so easy to cheer against. He's so, I hate to use this, he's so hateable right now um, because he's back-to-back MVP. And last year, I think the majority of hardcore NBA fans believed that he probably didn't 100% deserve it because he didn't go anywhere in the playoffs. And I know that's not part of the vote, but um, it's very easy to root against Giannis right now. Add on like the headbutt of Mo Wagner in the bubble, which was just a completely asinine move um, that I didn't understand at all. Just like picking a fight with the worst player on the worst team in the Eastern conference. Like, what are you doing? Um, all those things you said, he's like a hard worker. He constantly improves. He's got a great story. First international MVP. Um, but he's on a team that like, you you don't, almost don't know what to make of them because it seems like they're the same every year. And like, Oh yeah, this is Milwaukee again. This is what they do. They have, Brooke Lopez stand five feet outside the three point line and jack up threes all game. They have oh no, this year it's not Eric Bledsoe, it's whoever else Dante DiVincenzo, um, or Drew Holiday, or whoever it's going to be. I don't think they're the best team in the Eastern Conference, um, but you know, Giannis might have a big enough chip on his shoulder that he's able to kind of carry them. Uh, I think the Lakers are repeating so it doesn't really matter to me if they get to the NBA finals. Um, But yeah, I'm going to continue to root against them because it's just way too easy. There's almost nothing likable about them. I I do like Dante DiVincenzo uh, just based on his, the big ragu is one of the best nicknames out there. Um, And, you know, that national championship game performance was pretty insane, but um, there's just, I feel like they're so unlikable and like, that's like the number one thing that comes into my mind when I think about the Bucks. So maybe it clouds my judgment a little bit, but uh, yeah, I, I, I don't see them winning a championship this year.
0: So I wanted to actually bring up the Lakers and it's good that you kind of segued into that for me. But the one thing I, I've kind of found interesting about all of this is like, you see a lot of teams when they get super teams struggle right away with chemistry issues. The Lakers like really did, don't seem to be doing that. And I don't like to be the guy who advocate like, you know, you know, the glorify LeBron thing. Like I like LeBron. I think he's obviously one of the greatest players to ever play the game. Right. And I think no one's going to debate that, but I think, you know, it is a, a sense of his effects though. Right. Because of how good they've been chemistry was.
1: Yeah. I think the Lakers are better this year than they they were last year. Like Dennis Schroeder, I think was a great get for them. Like he he's, absolutely perfect to run the offense when lebron is playing off ball more i think montrez harrell was a great get like they needed that extra guy coming off the bench who could grab 10 or 12 boards and have a double double and have a couple blocks affect the game defensively um and it's just like ad and lebron it's like there's nobody you'd rather have in a deep playoff run you saw what ad did last year like Hit a game-winning three. I don't think anybody thought he was going to do that. Was dominant in the finals. I think AD could easily win MVP this year. Um, I think LeBron could easily win MVP this year. It's just like they often you feel like there's a little bit of a championship hangover. Um, but I don't feel that at all this year with the Lakers. And I think that's a good sign going forward. Also, I think the Western Conference is a little weaker than it has been in the past, um, especially the last two years. I think there's some teams that are kind of pretenders. Um, I think the nuggets are kind of pretenders. I don't know why. I just get the feeling with them. I think the Clippers are not as good as they were last year. I think there's a lot of distrust in the locker room. So one of the reasons I say, I think the Lakers are going back to back. is because I think they have an easier path through the Western conference. And it's just like, there's regular season Lakers and then there's playoff Lakers. Like, and you have no idea the ceiling of the playoff Lakers. Like, They could sweep everybody. I think it is within the realm of possibility that they could win 16 straight games and win the Larry O'Brien and we're just done with it. Um, And I think that's like the biggest thing when people debate how good are the Lakers. Like, I don't, I don't know how to answer that question. Like they have basically the two best players in the league. They can be as good as they want. If Dennis Struder starts scoring 20 points a game, like, how are you going to, what are you going to do? You can't do anything. Um, So yeah, I don't, I'm uh, often pessimistic about the Celtics' chances of making the finals or even winning a championship, and a lot of that this year is because of how good I think the Lakers are.
0: I do agree with you. I think they're the best team on paper in the way they're – I mean, they're kind of coasting, and they look like the best team in the NBA at the moment. Um, the one thing – so the way, the way I want to wrap up here is you said some interesting things in that last segment that I actually want to bring up a little bit. The pret- the pretender argument I think is very interesting. The Nuggets, for example, I actually believed in a lot, and I think Jokic and Murray are, are playing very well this year. But they, I agree with you they they don't look you know like they had that it factor they did last year. The, and the Clippers, you know, I've always thought they were the most overrated team in the NBA. Um, I've always thought that I, I, I just, I'm not a Clippers you know uh, believer because I'm just not a believer what they. I'm, Kawhi's great. I'm Kawhi's a good playoff performer. But Paul George, even though he's playing great right now, I just I, I have to see more from him um, and that kind of stuff. But I want to know why you think maybe there's a distrust in the locker room, um, even though because Paul George is playing better, um, and you know why you think the Nuggets are such a pretender, like you said.
1: Yeah, I mean the Clippers stuff is weird, right? It's like Lou Williams, who has won a bajillion six man of the year awards plays like 15 minutes coming off the bench. And there are reports before the year that they wanted to get rid of him, wanted to trade him. Once Montres Harrell was gone, they didn't feel like they had that like whole second unit to come in. Um, and all this stuff about like PG and Kawhi choosing when they're going to play, like having ridiculous requests on road trips, just generally driving a stake in the locker room. And then you lose Doc Rivers. And I think people underestimated like, a little bit of the glue that he was in that locker room, the ability to keep them together. And then I think the bubble just probably like for a team that is having distrust issues, the bubble is like the worst possible place you could go where you can't get away from each other. All you're doing is playing and watching basketball. And I think you saw that a little bit like it didn't work like they stunk in game seven like flat out stunk one of the worst performances I've ever seen in any level of basketball um, and to go to the nuggets like what I've seen from Jamal Murray this year makes me believe that the playoffs run was kind of like a flash in the pan almost like he reached the absolute pinnacle of his game and I don't know if he can get back there obviously he's young and he can still develop but I he has not been as good as he was in the bubble this year and whether that's like a regular season thing or just kind of like getting into the season getting your feet wet um I don't Jokic is obviously their one. I don't think Jamal Murray is a good enough two to get them to the Western Conference Finals again. Um, and that's I think a lot of people would disagree with that. But um the supporting cast also, I think, like a little bit of a bucks feel like oh, the nuggets are the nuggets again. Like the the Browns is the Browns, the nuggets are the nuggets. Like that this is just what they do. It doesn't feel like they're any different. It feels like they kind of depend on Jokic to play this interesting five where he's moving the ball around. It's like almost going to have a triple-double every night. Um, Also, like the Mavs, I don't really know what to make of them. I guess Kristaps is maybe coming back, but Lucas struggled in a couple games this year. So to me, it's just like, and maybe it's because I picked the Lakers that I'm purposely finding flaws in everybody else, but it just doesn't feel like the Western Conference is as strong as it has been in the past.
0: I completely understand that. And that makes a lot of sense. Um, I think this is, that's a great way to wrap up, Nick. Thank you so much. And I know again, for the people in the Amherst community, I know like the stuff you've been doing with leads is really cool and the athletic program. So continue doing your thing. And, um, it's obviously a pleasure to have you on. So thank you so much.
1: Thanks, Shred. I appreciate it. It was good to, uh, get some of these takes off my back a little bit. So I appreciate the time.
0: If you like that clip from the Shred Takes podcast show, I encourage you to like and subscribe to the YouTube channel. And also, if you want to check out the full episode its entirety, go to Apple Podcasts and Spotify to view the full episodes.